Well, we're going to have our Bible reading just now. John's going to bring that for us. Thanks, Nigel. Well, we're in Philippians again this evening, Philippians chapter 1. And as you turn that up, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 and the first 11 verses this evening. But as we start this, I wonder what it's like in your house come Christmas morning, in our house on Christmas morning. I would wake up early, run down the hall, and petrified of meeting a man in a red suit with a big white beard, I'd run into my mum and dad's room and say, mum and dad, time to get up, time to get up, time to get up. And they'd say, right, John, right, right, settle yourself. And we'd get to come up the hall, and before the living room door could be opened, dad would have to get out a cam recorder, the big cam recorders, and if you're probably under the age of 20, you've never seen one of those before here, but dad would get one of them out, and then you'd go into the room, and you'd start to point out all the little things. Look, mum and dad, a rugby ball, and look, Lego, and all the bits and pieces. Well, a few years ago, we, we found the, the old videos, the videos that had been taken whenever I was small, and at least 10 years had passed, and you're able to remember all the things that you, you can see in the video with fondness. You look at, oh, do you remember that sofa? That sofa was a great sofa. Or uh, in one video in particular, I was wearing Tarzan pajamas, and uh, I was like, they were my favorite pajamas. Do you remember those pajamas? And uh, I had great flashbacks as I was thinking about this illustration. But this is what almost is going on here, right? Paul is in prison. Ten years has passed since he's planted this church. And he writes back, and it's as if he's going through the camera roll. He's going through the rail, and he's able to see all of the, the people that he knows, Lydia. And he remembers her conversion at the riverside. And the Philippian jailer remembers his conversion and, and the family's conversion. And it's with fondness that he looks back and he writes these words. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Please do keep your Bible open as we look at this this evening. And we're going to think about it kind of under this title, A Gospel-Transformed Joyful Church. A Gospel-Transformed and Joyful Church. This is church. What we read about here in the first few verses of Philippians, a community of people who have been grafted together, who have been forged together, united to Jesus and to each other for the same cause and with the same desire. And so the phrase in verse 7, they are 
partakers of grace. And sadly, as we read Philippians chapter 1 in these first 11 verses, often this isn't the case. As we think about what church is and as we think about what church membership looks like, often the two do not marry up. We read about what it looks like here in Philippians, that there's, there's great joy in Paul, that he has a, a great joy as he remembers these folks, as he remembers their conversion. He has great joy because of the partnership that the, he has with them in the gospel. But whenever we think about church and we think about who and what the church is, it's often not a gospel community transformed by God's grace, and it's often not joyful. So the question I have for us here this evening is what does being part of this church here in Hill Street, being a member of this church family, what does it mean for you? What does church mean for you this evening? Well, let's think for a moment of some misconceptions. Church Christianity, following Jesus, some people come along to church and really they would rather not be here. <laughs> but the reason that they come along is because they see Jesus as a ticket, a ticket out of hell. And that's really all that he is. They're reluctant to come along on a Sunday. They endure church rather than enjoying church. They keep the rules, not because it's something that they, they think they really want to do, but rather it's because they're afraid of losing this ticket. Our churches are full of people like this. Well, tonight, if you're here or online, and that is how you think, and that is your experience of church, then sadly, that is not what it means to be a Christian. It's not following Jesus. It's not loving Jesus. It's not giving all that you have to treasure him. It's rather holding your nose, holding your breath, sucking it up, and going through the motions. Or maybe church for you is nothing more than a cultural identity. You were brought up in a broadly Christian country, but things have dramatically changed. Your granny and your granda were Presbyterians. Your mum and dad were Presbyterians. So you're just a Presbyterian. And you hear people talking about being saved, but really you've no, you no time for that. Living for Jesus, well, that's a little bit too much. When the minister speaks about joy or about Jesus actually doing something inside of us in our hearts and an emotional engagement, well, the minister might as well be talking in Russian because you don't care what he's saying and far less do you understand it. The church is really about marking a timesheet, doing your bit, but your heart is cold. Maybe that's you this evening. Or I think a, a growing section is, is like this church that I'm going to describe now. Church is comfortable. Some might say it's like the middle-class hot tub, a place to come along and to enjoy a place that serves me and my needs, then I come along to church and I get a little boost. It's entertainment for an hour or an hour and a half. It makes me feel good about myself. It's life coaching. I get to see my friends. My children get to make nice friends. They'll grow up to be good people if they come along to church. I'll be a better person for it. It's good for business. It's good for votes. It's good for reputation. It's the middle class thing to do. Sacrifice service? No, thank you. Absolutely not. Sacrifice and service are not in my church vocabulary. Or lastly, church might be just a social club. Similar people coming along to do similar things. 
Usually the people in church will, will be nice and the, the same people will usually be in, in charge. We'll have a little club of our own and our family and our friends. They'll be the people in, in power. And if we don't like to hear anything too radical on a Sunday, then we'll just get someone in who'll, who'll not rock the boat. A little social club. And friends, tonight, our churches across Ireland, across Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom, across the West, are full of people that are coming along and have these expectations. And what's even worse is that people who come along with these expectations are often being told, you'll be okay. Just keep going, keep doing what you're doing, just keep turning up, keep coming along, and you'll be all right in the end. No talk of Jesus. Jesus' transformational power, that as he comes and he pours his grace into our lives, that he changes us and makes us new. No talk of the community that we see here in Philippians chapter 1. So what should the gospel community look like? If these are all the things that it shouldn't look like, then what should it look like to be part of God's people here today? Well, last week we found out that in verse 1 and 2, we should be united to Jesus. And tonight we're going to see that if we're Christians, if we're part of this church family, then we are united in our cause, that we are united to each other, and that we are united in our desire. So united in our cause, united to each other, and united in our desire. First of all, united in our cause. We see this in verse 5. There's great partnership here. This church is sharing with Paul and what he's doing. There's there's not much that I love more than being able to play a team sport and competitive team sport. Being able to go out and be part of a rugby team with 14 other fellas or go out and be part of an 11-a-side or a 5-a-side team. It's great. Why? Because you're all pulling to, to, in the one direction. You're all going in the same direction. You've all got the same aim, and that's to win. Right? You're all trying your best. You're all in. But there's nothing as frustrating as someone in the team who doesn't put all their effort in. Someone who's uninterested because then the team are not united in their cause. But when you play for a team, you're all in, you give everything and you're expected to give everything for 80 minutes, for 90 minutes until the final whistle goes. And you have great joy in that. Everyone united in the same cause. Well, here Paul is great joy because the church at Philippi are united in the same cause, the gospel cause. And Paul is delighting in the consistency of this partnership. He knows that they're pulling in the same direction with him. You could say they're on the same team. But what is this partnership? What is gospel partnership? We'll look at verse 1 and verse 2. They are servants, first and foremost. If we're going to be part of the church, we're going to be servants of Jesus united to Jesus, as we thought about last week, and they're living their lives for Jesus, enjoying their salvation. It's a little bit like this. We often hear the, the, the illustration of putting your faith in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, is a little bit like trust in a chair. You see the chair, you know that it's going to hold you up, you put your faith in the chair, you don't doubt the chair, and so you sit on the chair, and the chair holds you up. That's often how believing in Jesus or faith in Jesus is described. But it's more than that. It's loving the chair. It's not enough to just sit in it, but it's to love the chair. What, what are we talking about? Jesus is the one that we put our trust in. And as Christians then, we love him. We respond to him. And in his grace, we love him. 
So as disciples of Jesus, with him right at the center of our lives, we are all here united in our cause. We are united in seeing people saved. We want to see people saved. We want to see disciples made. And this little church in Philippi, they were a transformed community. They were part of a Roman colony. They started off as a little church plant. And over the past 10 years, at this point that Paul writes, they had been faithful in worship, faithfully fighting the fight of faith, one day at a time, relentless in one direction, direction consistent they were in following Jesus. It's all about him. That's why in chapter, in chapter 1, Paul will go on, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, to say to live is Christ and to die is gain. United for Jesus, united in their cause, all for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So for us tonight, what's our cause here? What unites us? Why do we serve Jesus here in Hill Street? Why do we come along to worship him? Well, as brothers and sisters here in this place, it's about enjoying Jesus, living for his praise and his glory, verse 11 of Philippians chapter 1, as we see, and it's to see people saved and disciples made. We want to live to worship Jesus, and we want to live for his glory. And we want to see others, don't we, coming into this place whenever we were, not, whenever we were able to sit every pew and see this place full to see others coming in and joining with us, to becoming part of this community, experiencing this life-changing grace, following Jesus every day until he returns or calls us home. We want people to come and experience this deep joy that Paul talks about. United in our cause. Then we're united to each other. Verse 7, here we are partakers of grace. Last week, we talked about being tied to Jesus. As we're united to Jesus, we're, we're tied to him, but we're also tied to each other. As brothers and sisters here in this place, united to Christ, united to each other. We are a people who have been fused together. Lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, with different hobbies and different tastes, with different things that we enjoy, with different things that rub us up the wrong way, but we are united here, a community of people, partakers of grace. Isn't that a beautiful image? I imagine it like this, that we're, we're all standing around this huge well, and we're drawing up buckets of water. We're all partaking of it. We're all partaking of Jesus, sinners, needy people who are coming to him and drinking from him. And that's why week after week here in this place, we use the language of church family. Whenever we talk about a church family in Hill Street, we really mean it. You see, you're not saved into some sort of social club. We're not inviting you to come along Sunday by Sunday to some little gathering that's cozy and comfortable. We're inviting you to come along and be part of a family. Brothers and sisters saved by grace. And we want our relationships here at Hill Street to reflect that image. So that means that we are committed to one another, that we forgive one another, that we help each other, that we say sorry when we need to say sorry, that we work with, that we love, that we celebrate, that we encourage, that we challenge one another. We are family in this place. 
And that means just like this little church in, in Philippi, that we read the Bible together, that we pray together and for each other, that we laugh with one another, that we cry, that we think, we serve, we, we live our lives together for the glory and for the praise of God again, verse 11. So in this place, as Hill Street Church family, if you're here in the meeting house, up in the hall, watching online tonight, what are we? Well, we are a church. We are a church who want to be God-exalting, Christ-admiring, Spirit-filled, Bible-enjoying, grace-preaching, convenience-denying, cross-embracing, risk-taking, selfishness-crucifying, gossip-silencing, prayer-saturated, future-thinking, outward-reaching, a congregation where sinners can come along and partake of Jesus' wonderful grace. Whereas we gather into this place, there is no judgment one over the other, but whenever our masks aren't on, that we can smile at one another, embrace one another, sit with one another, travel with one another, journey with one another. Whenever we go through the most awful times in life, that we can cry for one another, that we can cook for one another, that we can pray for one another. Partakers of grace, united to each other. And this is a community that only God can build. But when he does build it, it cannot be ignored. There is power in seeing transformed people living for Jesus. That's what the church is. It's proof that God is alive, that he really does make a difference to real people in the real world. Perhaps some of us tonight are struggling. We're saying, John, we don't feel united this evening of all that's happened in recent days. Well, when it's difficult, when we feel like packing it all in, when we've been hurt, when we've been disappointed or let down, Look at verse 6. We have this confidence that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion, so keep going. Finally this evening, united in our desire. I wonder, do you ever sit dreaming about what you're going to do next around the house? Do you ever wonder, what little project will I do next? I'll confess to this, during lockdown, I decided that it would be a great idea to scrape the wallpaper off my wall in my room, and I've never finished the job, right? I, I scrape the wallpaper off, and it's cream and gray. Looks very hipster, looks very cool, but the paint's sitting there, and I haven't finished the job. But I love dreaming up little other, and other jobs that Dad and myself are going to do, thinking about these things, all these little projects. What about Church. Do you ever dream about what we would want here at Hill Street? What would we desire for the next 10 years, 20 years as a church family here? What do we pray for this church, for each other? What are we asking God for? Well, look at what Paul prays here. Verse 9. He prays for this church that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. That your love, that your love may abound. There's no greater feeling, is there, than coming along to a church 
and instantly knowing that people love you. They don't know you, and yet they love you. They're interested in you. They want to get to know you. They, they want to give you an embrace. They want to sit down and ask you questions about your life. Here Paul writes this, and you know what's beautiful about it? It's an open-ended love. And what do we mean by that? Well, it covers various aspects. In the Old Testament, Paul undoubtedly is picking up this theme that our love is primarily found in God. That is true. That we love God first and foremost, and as we love God, then our love for everything else and for others flows from that. But this love is broader than that. This is a prayer that the Philippian church would love everything that is good. That your love, he says here, would be love that is filled with knowledge and discernment. So we're going to have to break this down. What does it mean to love with knowledge or for knowledge to affect our love? Well, here he's referring to the knowledge of God. How do we know that? Well, Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon with the exact same encouragement that they would have knowledge of who God is. And I love this. Often in our culture, we'll say, do you know such and such? And we'll say, yes. And we could be best friends with that person, or we could have maybe met them once. And we'll say, oh, I know such and such. I know that person to see, or I know them. Here's Paul saying, get to know God that your love may abound more and more as you get to know him. Not just knowing about him, but that you, that you pick up of his word and you read to hear what he's like, that you actually discover him in these pages. Jesus, the, the, the word made flesh, God's son, walked this earth. He has communicated with us. And so we, we dive into his word, asking the question, what is God really like? We get to know him. And as we get to know him, it generates our love. Because as you start to see Jesus' heart, you cannot help but love him. Either that or you will totally reject him. And so we get stuck into his word. And as we love God, our ability to love others grows. It's like the two go in tandem. We love him, and then as, we flow, as it flows out from that, we love other people. It's simple, friends, this evening. The more we are in the word of God, the more we grow in our knowledge of him, and the more our love will grow. So Paul says this knowledge is connected to the love, but also something else. He says here this word discernment with knowledge and discernment. So we know what knowledge is. We dig, d dive deep into God's word, but discernment, well, in the Greek word here, it, it really means all insight. It has this practical element to it. So let's follow the logic. Paul's saying that your love will abound more and more. And your love will abound more and more as you get to know God. And as you get to know God, well, then it will change everything in your life there will be a practical outflowing of it. So as you get to know him, it changes everything. It changes how you think and how you live. So we see that being part of the gospel community, being part of this church, means that we will be filled with joy as we are united in our cause, as we're united to one another, and as we are united in our desire. Now, how can we summarize that desire? 
Well, John Piper puts it like this and famously puts it like this. God is most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So that's our desire in this place. Our desire is that we would glorify God because we are people who are satisfied by him. That we don't have to run after all the other things in the world that they offer, but that whenever we come into this place, whenever we pick up of God's word, that he does something in our hearts. Truly satisfied. All who drink from me will never thirst again, Jesus says. And so our lives are saturated by this love, this love of good things, and we're thankful to God. So that means for us that we can go and fish and we can thank God. We can thank God for the water and for the sun and for the fish that swim and for the riverbank. It means that we can go for a walk with a friend and that we can thank God for a measure of health and strength, that we can thank God for relationships as mums and dads, that you can play with your children and praise God for laughter and for fun. As husbands and wives, you can enjoy intimacy with one another and thank God for your spouse. We can read good books. We can admire wonderful, wonderful art. How does this work? I think often what we have tried to do is we've tried to illustrate the Christian life as a ladder and that Jesus is on the very top rung of that ladder and everything else comes second and third and fourth and fifth. And if we're honest, probably the second, third, and fourth and fifth things often seem to slip up to that top run, and Jesus gets knocked down. Really, that's not what life's like at all. It's not as structured as that. Instead, it's better to think of it like a wheel. And right at the center of the wheel, right at the heart of the wheel is Jesus, living for his glory and for his praise, being satisfied in him, right at the center and then everything sp spurs out from that. So as we enjoy our family, we enjoy our family because God has granted it to us. As we enjoy our hobbies, we enjoy them because God has granted them to us. And everything that we do in our life permeates out from Jesus being right at the center. That your love for good things may abound more and more. That your love for God and for his people may abound more and more. So Christians tonight, may your love for God and good things, may your love for God prove you, verse 10, to be pure and blameless. And as we live this life, we see here, Paul says, that there's a, a fruit produced, the fruit of righteousness. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things start to manifest themselves in our lives. And so we live for His glory. This is what it means to be a human. This is what it means to be a community in this place, united in our desire to celebrate one another. And so whenever someone in our church family goes into different careers, that we encourage them and celebrate them. The Christians should craft the best laws and write the most intricate computer code and design the most beautiful bridges and carve the most wonderful designs and write the most beautiful and delightful prose. All these good things flowing out first and foremost from a love of Jesus. This is what it means to be part of this community. United in our cause, 
united to each other, united in our desire. As we close this evening, Ray Ortland says this. He says, it is together that we suffer and that we thrive. It is together that we worship and grow and serve according to the Word of God. That's what church is. Ground zero for a new kind of community that Christ is creating in the world today for the display of His glory. So this is who we are. This is what we are. This is what we are part of. And this is what we see here unlocked for us in these first 11 verses of Philippians. So we want to live as a gospel-transformed, joyful community, as a joyful church, abounding in love, committed to one another, united in our cause. This is church. This is what you're part of. And if you're here this evening or you're watching online, and you're not yet part of this community, but you yearn to be tonight. As we talk about this, you, you want to be part of this joy-filled community, united in our cause, living for the glory and for the praise of Jesus. Well, tonight you can be part of it. Jesus invites you to come and to be part of his church, to be part of this community. Her doors are always open. Our doors are always open here. We love to see people experiencing the transforming grace of Jesus, coming to know him as Lord and Savior. So tonight, come. Come to this community, this joy-filled community. And Christian, be encouraged tonight that your joy here this evening is a joy that is deeper than just a surface-level thing, but it's a deep joy that we all share collectively in this place because we are united in our cause, united to each other, and united in our desire. May God bless his word to us this evening.